many Indians, though, are rightfully cautious with outsiders. So when Lakota elder Leonard Littlefinger asked us to document the saga of his great-great-grandfather, Chief Bigfoot, he did so because Taki Telenidas, the producer of these stories, is a first-generation Greek-American. Leonard felt Taki would bring less bias to the story than more entrenched Americans would. After almost two weeks together, as we were about to leave, I told Littlefinger, with some trepidation, who my great-great-grandfather was. Let's just say it's an understatement to describe him as someone who did his part to win the West. I was shocked by Leonard's reaction. He grabbed my hand, and with that handshake, a new understanding was forged. Day one. It's Saturday morning, late July, in the New England village of Barrie, Massachusetts. The sun peeks through a canopy of hardwoods. On one side of the road, pure Yankee, people the color of maple wood. Across stands a mixed forest of folks with skin the hue of cherry wood, oak, and black walnut. These people begin moving across the road and up to the steps of the Woods Memorial Library. You're Gloria? I'm Gloria. I'm Leonard Littlefinger. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. The greeting begins tentatively, perhaps like that first meeting at Plymouth Rock. This delegation of Lakota Indians has come a long way to be here. There's a profound feeling of dignity. And these girls are the fifth, sixth, and seventh generation of Chief Bigfoot. I'll start by introducing to you Lisa Barrow. Leonard Littlefinger is the great-great-grandson of Chief Bigfoot, the leader of a band of Indians that was killed on that snowy December day at Wounded Knee 110 years ago. The 60-year-old ponytailed man has come with other descendants to central Massachusetts to collect a sacred object, a lock of hair belonging to their ancestor. It's been a journey that is over 100 years. But this journey has a good ending today. Uh, we thank the people of Barrie for keeping these things for us in a, in a sacred and special way. So we come in friendship. And yet friendship might not be so easy when someone possesses a piece of your ancestor. There's always been a market for gruesome objects of history, particularly from Native America. The lock of hair and other items from Wounded Knee were acquired by a traveling shoe salesman and eventually donated to his hometown library. But even the local Indians didn't know of their existence. My name is Wyatt Musque in the Algonquin. It means red sunset. My uh, European name is Carol Palavra. Wyatt Musque is a member of the Nipmuc tribe. She and a small group of tribal members have traveled from their four-and-a-half-acre reservation near Worcester in a show of solidarity with the Sioux delegation. Very, very spiritual that at last an elder could go home to his homeland and be amongst his family. I have goosebumps just thinking about it. On behalf of the Barry Library Association, we're very happy that this day has finally come and that we are able to present this lock of hair, um, Chief Bigfoot's lock of hair, to you and to your people. The library representative picks up a straw saucer covered by an embroidered linen cloth. She respectfully hands it to Littlefinger. Thank you. He sets it down on a table and begins to unfold it. A hush sweeps over the room as the hair comes into view. Girls when they come through and see. It's 11 inches long, thick, black mixed with gray. 
Littlefinger lifts the lock out of its homespun container and transfers it to a bed of sweet sage and tobacco, then folds it carefully in a smoke-tanned elkhide. The delegation solemnly moves outside. Medicine man Richard Brokennose prays in the Lakota language and then sings. Some people bow their heads, others look around nervously. What were your feelings when you saw that lock of hair? Connection of my past. My first reaction was, here's my relative. Good feeling, good feeling. And uh, I put my hand on, on the hair and could just feel the warmth and the hair was just soft, you know. It's just like mine. I feel humble, I feel honored. I feel much stronger. The 15th Annual Ogallala Lakota Nation Powwow 2000 will be held August 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Day 3. The Pine Ridge Indian Reservation is nearly 2 million acres of vast rolling prairie. My directions are sketchy, trying to find where they've taken Chief Bigfoot's lock of hair. Okay, I'm driving up a little dirt road, and there's uh, several teepees shade hut. It's a very bumpy road. I see him now in lawn chairs, a few people. Oh, there's Leonard Littlefinger. It's an old farmstead, derelict tractor, abandoned cabin. We're just outside Oglala, South Dakota, about 18 miles as the crow flies from Wounded Knee. This is where the descendants of Bigfoot have gathered. Women are preparing a big pot of stew. Onions, potatoes, celery. And the magic cut. <laughs> Littlefinger and the medicine man are reconstructing a four-day ceremony called the Keeping of the Soul. Outlawed by the U.S. government after Wounded Knee, it hasn't been performed in a hundred years. In the teepee, Littlefinger has created an altar of sorts. The lock of hair lies on a bed of sage next to Bigfoot's eagle feather headdress and chief's blanket. It's about uh, 10 in the evening. We've had supper. Lightning is flashing across the sky, lighting these three teepees. <laughs> Children are playing. When the family went in to see the lock of hair for the first time, a big storm came up, and as they came out, everyone was weeping. It was real emotional for me. And it was like um, being in the presence of someone that we knew. I had a real sad feeling. I feel like an Indian. Our great chiefs are still alive in their spirits. When I touched it, it felt alive. No, I don't care. I'm married to a physician. I don't care what any doctor, scientist, anybody tells me. When I touched that hair, it felt warm. It felt alive. All these years, my experiences feel pretty heavy. 
but today I feel like, you know, real light, you know. And that's the way it's going to be from now on. My people, our people, oh, we're going to feel relief. Relief from the memories of a hundred years ago that seemed like yesterday. The survivors grew up with their own history. The Black Hills had been given to the Lakota in the Treaty of 1868, but by the 1880s they were teeming with gold miners and settlers. Indians, pushed off their lands, were starving. Some embraced the ghost dance, a new spiritual practice they believed would restore the good life. This frightened the cavalry, and the American press whipped up a frenzy of conflict. It was December 29, 1890. Chief Bigfoot's Menahoju Band of Sioux were headed south from their home on the Cheyenne River. The 7th Cavalry cut them off 15 miles from the Pine Ridge Agency at a place called Wounded Knee. Chief Bigfoot was bedridden with pneumonia. A white flag of peace flew from his wagon as he met the soldiers. Soon, orders were given to round up the entire band and disarm everyone. One false move and in moments, Wounded Knee exploded in violence. A few hours later, 90 braves and as many as 200 Indian women and their children lay dead or dying in the snow. But not every Indian died at Wounded Knee that day. A 15-year-old boy, the heel of his foot shot off, limped away. He hid in the hills until spring and finally came down to this valley and started a new life on this spot. His name was John Littlefinger. His grandfather was Chief Bigfoot. His grandson is Leonard Littlefinger. In my lifetime, I, I was fortunate enough to know my grandfather, and and he he was just a grandfather, like anybody's grandfather. Someone to learn from, someone to experience life with. So, of the stories that I hear from the United States government's version. They're very different from my grandfather's. Leonard had 26 relatives at Wounded Knee. 19 of them died. Chuck Benson is Littlefinger's grandson. He drove from Tucson, Arizona to help out with the ceremony. For him, the challenge is how to forgive and yet find justice in a memory that won't die. I think part of it is the fact that the United States government has never recognized any wrongdoing at Wounded Knee. They not only exonerated the men that were involved in that, the soldiers of the 7th Cavalry, but they gave out 20 medals of honor. Only Iwo Jima in World War II got more medals of honor. One man got a medal of honor. His name was Corporal Paul Weinert. He received the medal of honor for taking a Hotchkiss gun. This is an early mortar. Looked like a cannon with a skinny barrel and firing into groups of women and children. I read part of his testimony later in life. He said, you know, I thought I was going to get court-martialed for my actions at Wounded Knee. And instead, they, they give me the Medal of Honor. Day five. People are singing songs for Bigfoot, also known as Sitanka in the Lakota language. Littlefinger has a contented look on his face as he sits under the shade entrance. I sit here by the tent that the hair is being kept. Sometimes I fall asleep. I sit there for hours. And I'm so much at peace 
that this is what I wish, I hope, for those of you that are perhaps my great-great-grandchildren, I, I wish you that. Day six. There's a growing sense of kinship as almost 60 people stand before supper in a Lakota blessing. The ceremony is almost over. I just I went in the teepee for the first time and there's a small fire that's been burning in there for the last 11 and a half hours at midnight now, which is just in a few minutes. Everyone will go in the teepee and there will be a ceremony which will culminate in the freeing of the soul of uh, Chief Bigfoot. Family members shuffle into the teepee. The light from the fire dances on Sitanka's hair, headdress, and chief's blanket. In respect for the family, I need to turn the tape recorder off now. I just came out of the teepee. It's about two in the morning. What went on tonight was a, an extremely moving a series of events mostly prayers in Lakota, songs. And it ended with um, this object, this lock of hair, being thrown into the fire. And uh, at the moment the hair hit the fire, there's this smell of uh, burning hair and a great sense of release. Day seven, the empty teepee creaks and flaps in the stiff breeze. Leonard Littlefinger sits next to the pyre where Bigfoot's hair was cremated last night, a black circle in the grass. This farmstead is again deserted. There wasn't really a goodbye, though. Um, I mean, it can't be a goodbye. The soul is now on its way back, and all these prayers that we've been doing, we're going back with him. And these prayers are uh, of hope, of aspiration, of commitment. And he takes this back and presents it to our God, Wakantaka, and says, here are the prayers of my grandchildren. The aspiration and commitment he prays for are not just empty wishes. Littlefinger wants to build a cultural center on this spot to celebrate renewal. He envisions a place where future generations can learn Lakota history, customs, and language. It all seems possible at this place, but for Leonard Littlefinger's grandson, Chuck Benson, healing the wound at Wounded Knee is not so easy. Every time I go to Wounded Knee, I cry. And maybe, maybe after being here, maybe after the repatriation, and maybe after being with the family, and maybe after uh, sharing this time together, Maybe now I can finally go to Wounded Knee uh, without crying.
we all inherit these tragedies and blood memories that run through our veins of all of these events that have happened to us. And the beauty of this event here is how we're, we're able to smooth smooth out that water again, that bloody water that was there to where it's crystal clear again. 